My name is Charlie Brown. Um, you can go ahead and laugh. I'm good with that. I've been through the sozo for that. It's all good. <laughs> Where did my glasses go? Um, yeah, I met Jason through Jack Smith. Uh, my wife, Carol, and I were actually, um, check this out, met. I met Jesus and my wife in Isla Vista. What? And we pastored in the Bay Area for almost 20 years. Um, Stepped down in the end of 08. And uh, in business, met Jack Smith. And actually, um, just relationally, we spend time, uh, a lot of time coaching. And coaching churches and other pastors and um, people kind of doing what we did. I used to oversee a bunch of churches and I used to coach a lot of church plants. We sent out churches from our church and ministers from our church. It was sort of like every church has its little niche and its little uh, ethos. And one of our things that we did, and we did, I guess, somewhat well, was raise up and equip leaders to kind of go do their thing. I don't know if you uh, listen to podcasts or in what circles you travel in, but a guy by the name of Doug Addison came out of our church. We sent Doug and Linda to plant in Akron, Ohio. They uh, planted there came back, actually was the interim pastor, because I took a sabbatical and Doug took over the church for a while. I came back and Doug launched his own ministry and um, did something we do. I just want to let you know that it is truly an honor to be here, and and, um, you guys have a stellar, amazing, incredible reputation um, in churches all over California and all over the world, what you guys are doing, not only with Jesus Burgers, but with Ivy Worship and under the tutelage of Jason Hawley. Just, I just want to let you guys know that God is done, doing something unique and wonderful. And please, I know that this is family. And sometimes family is like not that impressive anymore because it's just family to you. From the outside, what God is doing here is special and unique. And so don't take it for granted what God is doing here. It's truly, truly awesome. Um, Just real quick, how many current or previous Gauchos? UC Santa Barbara? Awesome. Love it. Uh, Westmont Warriors. Come on, Westmont Warriors. All right, now, the school after my heart. Santa Barbara City? Come on, Santa Barbara City. Amen. Amen. Yes. I kid you not, I have a ton of hats. I wear a ton of hats. One of my favorite hats that I wear with great pride is SBCC. And I just walk around Ventura and rock that hat. That's like, that's right. That's right. I went there. That's where I went. Um, I'm going to give a little bit more of my background and my testimony a little bit later. But I grew up in West L.A. and I say my life started in Isla Vista. Um, I had two sisters that were gauchos that they were older than me, and I knew I had to get out of L.A., and so I said, oh, I know, I'll just go to Isla Vista, and so I went to City College and lived in Isla Vista, 6503 Del Playa, the one on the beach side right next to campus, and I didn't even go to UC, I was going to City College, which like the best apartment in all of Isla Vista, sorry, um, it was awesome. I enjoy and have for a long time um, enjoyed the role of coach. Some people are star athletes. I was never a star athlete. I never like, like was, I was always like the captain of whatever team I was on, captain of my varsity basketball team, captain, but I was never the MVP. 
Um, uh, I had a, we had a good, healthy church, not the biggest church in town, but I just have enjoyed the role of coach, of helping other people do well. I've coached a lot of our kids. Oh, I'm sorry, that's my son, Michael, farthest in the back, and his girlfriend, Tatiana. Woo! Um, and, oh, I'm going to take an aside, but I have to say this. I forgot to say this. This is, I'm, I'm interrupting myself. What? We have, when we, when we coach and go to various places, and, and I try not to say to other pastors, you have to be like we were. I just want you to be who God called you to be. That's the role. But there's sometimes I have my own little pet peeves. And just because we love the Holy Spirit and the gifts of the Holy Spirit and the freedom of the Holy Spirit doesn't mean we have to start 20 minutes late all the time. But there's a lot of churches who think that's what, well, we're open to the things of God. So we start 20 minutes late. Drives me nuts. I was sitting out there today and some dude goes, four o'clock, it's four o'clock. And I'm like, I love this place. (laughs) Right? So our background is vineyard and we have a thing in the vineyard called standard vineyard time, which is 15 minutes later than you're supposed. And I just said, we are not going to do standard vineyard time. It's 10 o'clock. We started 10 o'clock. Carolyn was our worship pastor and we, man, that worship team was up there at 9.55. We had, we had instrumental music from 9.55 to 10. Worship started at 10. If you were too busy and you didn't get your kids situated in children's church, you missed it. We're not waiting for you. Come on, man. So anyway, thank you, brother. I, I was, okay, I'm just way off script right now. We talk, we took, because I coached a lot of church planters and coached a lot. And I was involved in forming how to raise up church planters for the vineyard movement. I was in a lot of those meetings back in the day. So we go, we have a miracle um, free vacation to Maui. And uh, I got my date that I was guest speaking at a church mixed up. And I said, Bob, I'm at this date. He goes, no, dude, you're at that date. I'm like, I'm booked. I can't do that date. And he said, I will do anything for you to show up on this day. And I said, anything? And he goes, I'll fly you and Carolyn anywhere. I said, you give me two tickets to Maui and I will change my schedule. He goes, done. I said, yes. So we got two tickets to Maui. I'm sitting in this little church. I don't know why. Just don't go to church. When you're a pastor, do not go to church on your vacation. It was the worst experience of my life. And I was like, oh my gosh. And any peace I had just ran out the door. And Carolyn is patting me on my knee going, breathe, breathe, breathe. (laughs) Anyway, pastoral frustration. I haven't even started. I am so sorry. Reel it in. I love coaching. I've coached lots. (laughs) I coached all of our kids in basketball. I love coaching little kids basketball, right? These little third graders, find your man, find the ball. Say that over and over again. Find your man, find the ball. That's all you got to do. And it was really interesting. As the kids got older, all the kids that I coached in elementary school are now in junior high, and they were used to my voice. So now they're all in competing schools. And I'm up in the stands, and I bark something to my son, and three kids from the other team turned around because they were used to my voice. I'm like, well, I just better shut up. So I love coaching in general, love coaching basketball, love coaching sports. One thing I do not like about youth sports, and and I'm going to rub some of you wrong, 
Just get ready. Just get ready. Because some of you go, I like that. Here's what I don't like about youth sports. The participation trophy. Come on. The participation trophy? What? So mom needs 45 minutes at the mall by herself. So she signs her kid up for youth basketball, and he really just wants to be playing video games. So she drops him off. The kid, how many times have I been like little fourth grade Johnny? Is I'm trying to get him corralled to just focus like in between the baseline and the sidelines. And he's looking up at the ceiling. The ball hits him in the chest. He doesn't want to be there, and that's okay. Johnny, you don't need to be here, bro. I know you don't like this. And it's frustrating for me that you're here. It's frustrating for both of us that you're here. Neither of us want you here. And then he gets a trophy. A trophy? Are you kidding me? Like, what are we doing to our kids? That they then get a trophy. What, is he going to grow up and one day say, Mom, I got a C in math. Do I get a trophy? No, you don't get a trophy for getting a C in math. What kind of expectations are we setting? I think that, that we should just put kids in what they want to do. Just my idea. It's crazy, I know. I used to say that, that we're here to have fun, and doing something well is more fun than doing something poorly. So if you learn one thing, you're going to have more fun at the end of the season than you did at the beginning of the season. Mission accomplished. Just learn one thing. Just do it a little bit better than you did previously. So we give them a participation trophy. They get something for literally only existing. I used to think that God's love for me was the ultimate participation trophy. John 3.16, what does it say? For God so loved the world. Like, I know about you. I know that that's cool and powerful and should be life-changing. Come on. Do you ever read that and go, eh? I mean, in business, if there's a lot of something, it diminishes the value. It's when something's rare that it has value. So I'd read John 3.16 and kind of like, well, she loves me. He also loves that guy. He loves the person who hurt my feelings. He hurts the girl that broke up with me. He hurts the guy that dumped me. He loves the guy that dumped me as much as he loves me. I'm like, I don't know. Really? Is that, is that special? I mean, he loves me as much as he loves people who've done really horrible things. I guess that's good for them. But it doesn't really change my life. Because it's a participation trophy. I was born, God loves me. Meh. Not such a big deal. So today I want to talk about that. I want to talk about that. Let's go ahead and pray, and then, and then I'm going to get into it. So Holy Spirit, I pray you would come. Thank you, Lord, for church that starts on time. I was just a gift for me. It really was. You're so good. Thank you for Jason and Holly and their leadership. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for the worship and being here. Thank you for the reputation. Thank you, Jesus, for the waves that not only crash against the shores of Isla Vista, but the waves that go out from this church worldwide. 
that bring refreshing and life. And Lord, I pray that you would come now in Jesus' name, do something fresh, do something new that only you can do. And everybody said, amen. There is, um, we know basic stuff. Jesus came for two primary reasons. One, to bring the kingdom of God to earth. The demonstration and proclamation of what it means when God's in charge. The other thing that he came for was to restore our shameless relationship to the Father. That's what he came for. There's a principle in biblical interpretation which is, which, which is not perfect. It's not always. It's sometimes. And when it's sometimes, it can be really helpful and have a lot of insight. That's called the, the principle of first mention. And the principle of first mention says that whenever a name, in the Old Testament, it's really cool sometimes the names of locations, the names of people, or an instance, the first time something is mentioned actually sets the course to understand that thing throughout the rest of Scripture. It breaks down sometimes. Sometimes it's really, really helpful. It's called the principle of first mention. Do you know what the first words of Jesus that were mentioned in the Gospels, chronologically the first words. Let me tell you the story. Luke chapter 2. Jesus is about 12. Mary and Joseph go up to Passover. They go up the hill to Jerusalem to Passover. They have the feast. They're coming down. They're coming down with a large group of people, probably uh, Elizabeth, Zach, their son John, who is Jesus' cousin. They're probably all traveling in a group. It takes a couple days to get back to Nazareth. All of a sudden, I can imagine Mary turns to Joseph and goes, you got Jesus, right? Joseph probably looks at Mary and says, no, you have Jesus. I don't have Jesus. Where's Jesus? They go, I don't know. Let's go find, you know, uh, um, Elizabeth and Zach and John and see if maybe they know where Jesus is. So they stop and they start to go back and find Jesus back in Jerusalem. Now, when I was younger, I used to read some of the examples, especially in the Gospels, of the, the um, disciples and the people following Jesus and their mistakes and their, their trips, their, their um, foolishness. And, and in my arrogance and in my youthfulness, I would look at some of the things that the people in the Bible said and go, man, I would never have done that. Do you know that one? It's like, if I was Peter and I started to walk on water and I took a couple steps... I personally know I would have not fallen. I would have kept walking. Of course. If I was Thomas and Jesus appeared through the wall, I would have said, I'm good. I don't need to see your hands. I know because I'm just more spiritual than the people in the Bible. As I get older, a little bit of gray hair here, as I get older and wiser and a little bit more humble, I now read scripture and go, yep, I probably would have done that too. I probably would have done that too. As a matter of fact, I have done that. Left the kid. On at least one occasion. On at least one occasion, maybe twice. Maybe twice. At the end of church, Carolyn comes up to me and says, I have the boys. Our daughter is the oldest, Candace. I have the boys You get Candace, she's at the playground, I'm going home. 
What I heard was, Charlie, you are the best preacher ever. You rock. So I said, awesome. And I went home. She looks at me like, where's Candace? And I said, I don't know. Maybe she's over at a friend's house. Where is Candace? She goes, I told you to bring Candace home. I'll be right back turn around, went home, and there's our poor, like, eight or nine-year-old daughter standing on the curb with tear running down, like, I'm so sorry, honey. I forgot you at church. So I don't make a whole lot of fun of Mary and Joseph when they forgot their son, Jesus. Although, in my defense, I forgot our daughter for a couple hours. They forgot Jesus for, like, three days. It says, on the third day, they found him. How do you lose your kid in a crowd for, th- I mean, you trust everybody in that crowd, but they lost their kid for three days. Mary goes back, finds him in the temple. He's 12 years old. He's schooling everybody, dispensing wisdom. And remember the first, remember the principle of first mention, the first thing that Jesus says, which sets our understanding of his ministry and what he's all about the first thing that Jesus said is this. Didn't you know I would be in my father's house? Didn't you know I'd be in my father's house? This is where I belong. At home with my dad. And I know I'm only 12, and I know you guys are my earthly parents, but this is where I belong. This relationship went on between Jesus and the Father, and it's, it is all of the Gospels, all of Scripture, all of the Gospels. When Jesus began his public ministry, his cousin John baptizes him. You guys know the story. He's, he goes to get baptized. He goes under. He comes up. A dove. It's like lightning. Sky opens up, and there's an audible voice says, This is my son whom I love, with whom I am well pleased. Before he did ministry, before he did anything else. Sets the course for Jesus saying, this is what it's about. The first half of Jesus' ministry, sometimes when you get all the gospels together, it gets kind of confusing the timeline. Let me give you a big paintbrush. The first half of Jesus' ministry is kind of good time Charlie. He's feeding people. He's healing people. A lot of the messages are pretty cool. So there's some grumbling among the Sadducees and the Pharisees and the religious people. But for the most part, everybody likes him. And things are going well. He's very popular. He's gathering a crowd. He's casting out demons and healing the sick. And everybody's like, this is so much fun being around Jesus. He's about to start the second half. The second half starts to get a little bit gnarlier. Because the second half, he says to Peter, who do you say that I am? He starts, to call, he starts to call it out. The Sadducees, the Pharisees, the teachers start to really ramp up their persecution. It ends with his crucifixion. So we're at the halfway mark between things are really good and really fun and things are about to get gnarly. And what does he do? He goes up to the Mount Transfiguration. And there the father meets him again. And the exact same words are repeated. Have you ever had a prophetic word and you go, Lord, I just need to hear it again. 
Have you ever met the Lord and him comfort you and affirm you and bless you? And sometimes you just go, Lord, I need it again. And your heavenly father is not afraid of that or ashamed of that because that's what he did with his own son. Before the second half of his ministry, before it got gnarly, he brings him up to the Mount Transfiguration and he repeats it. And he says, this is my son whom I love, with whom I am well pleased. And then Jesus is full and ready to go into the gnarly year and a half that he has. And I think, if Jesus needs to keep going back to the well of his father's love, chances are, I do too. Chances are, I better make this a regular part of what my walk with him. Because I'm not even close to walking in the power and the revelation of Jesus. John chapter 5. It says, Jesus says this, For the Father loves the Son and shows him all things that he himself is doing. You know where the Father, the Holy Spirit, moves upon Jesus. Jesus not acting as, as God. He's acting as a human who set his deity aside and now walking as a human, full though of the Holy Spirit. He moves in great revelation and great power. But it says that the Father loved him, therefore revealed things to him. Sometimes I think we get so caught up in, God, I got to hear your voice. God, what are you doing? I can't, hear, I can't hear you, Lord. And we have to go back to the beginning, which is being rooted and grounded in the fact that God loves you. Because in that place, secure in God's love for you, you will hear him. It says, because of the Father's love for him, he revealed these things to Jesus. And the word there, as you know, is not agape, like for God so loved the world, The word is a more intimate phileo, which means they were friends. I like to translate the way, I like to use just the word like. The father liked Jesus. He just liked him. Do you ever have family members that you love? You don't totally like. But you love them. Like, yeah, okay, love you too, bye. It wasn't that way. It wasn't this, this catch-all love. It was this like, dude, you and I, simpatico, like, we get each other. You and I, I like this about you. Goes on and says in the same way that, in the same way, Jesus has that same phileo, brotherly love, that likeness towards us. Jesus was completely rooted and grounded in the Father's love for him. And talking about emotional intelligence, here's what that did for Jesus. Listen to this. Because he was rooted in the love of the Father, he was free. He was free. He was free from fear of the Sadducees and the Pharisees. He was free to be totally who he was. He was totally free to love people that he wasn't supposed to love. He just didn't care. He had a very healthy sense of, I don't care. He had a very healthy sense of, well, it's not the religious thing to do, but it's the loving thing to do. I'm going to do that. And so the woman poured oil out on him, and he had a party, and he blessed her, and everybody's like, you hang out with sinners. He's like, yeah, I do. 
And there's a woman caught in adultery. And everybody's like, the law says we're supposed to stone her. And Jesus was like, but that's not the loving thing to do. So I'm going to not care what the law says right now, not care about the pressure of all you guys, and I am free to love her. I am free to love the unlovable. I'm free to be who I am. I'm also free to tell the truth. Because he said to the woman, go and sin no more. He was free to meet a Samaritan woman by the well. And he was freed up to even encounter a woman who was a Samaritan and engage with her. He was free to do that. He was also free to say, yeah, your husband? She goes, I don't really have a husband. He goes, yeah, you got five. He was free to say that. He, wasn't afraid of, he was not afraid of confrontation or the truth. He was released. He was free because the Father loves me. I am totally free. He was free to hang out with Matthew, the tax collector. He's free to have lunch with Zacchaeus. He, do you know that um, the whole story of Mary and Martha? And, and that whole thing is about don't be busy and just stay in worship at Jesus' feet. I get that. But the whole thing that the, the way it's written, it says that Mary sat at Jesus' feet. That's more than a physical description of what's going on. What's that saying is Mary was being tutored by a rabbi. She sat at his feet, meaning Jesus was acting as her rabbi. That's a no-go. You're not supposed to do that with women. And Jesus was, I love women too much. I don't care. I'm free. I'm free to have Mary sit at my feet and I will teach her and tell her and instruct her and I will raise her up because I love her and I am free to do that. And on and on and on in all of these examples, Jesus was a people lover. He was never a people pleaser. I love how his, among his own people, he, James and John, so the, his three inner circle, the PJs, Peter, James, and John. And two out of the three, I mean, he took those three, his core group, his three out of 12, and he spoke the truth to them. And he said, James and John, you guys are sons of thunder. Like, you guys are bulls in a china closet. What the heck's going on? Peter, who is even closer than, than the other, well, he was closest with John. But Peter, who he had a great destiny for, Peter, Jesus was free to say, Peter, get behind me, Satan. That's a word I hope I never hear. <laughs> get behind me, Satan. It didn't matter. He was completely and utterly free. When you are free spiritually and emotionally, it comes from being rooted in the Father's love. I see people all the time, all the time, in the church, out of the church, mostly in the church, who are so bound and not free. And what happens is they, they begin to live life like I am not loved, I'm an orphan. And there's this whole orphan spirit that says a couple things, one of which is I need to take care of myself. 
I need to manipulate and I need to move things around to take care of myself because I have no heavenly father or no parents or no anything to look after me. So I have to look out on my end. I am alone. So I'm going to manipulate the situation. If I have to lie, I have to lie because you got to do what you got to do to get what you need. And that's an orphan spirit. There are other times where people then bury that into all kinds of things. I'm alone. I'm an orphan. This hurts. Hey, that will cover my pain. Hey, I'll do that. Because then I will not walk in the, in the awareness that I'm an orphan. And I have to take care of myself. Because that's terrifying. So if I do these other things and medicate through these other things, then I will feel better and deny the fact that I feel like I'm an orphan. And all of this changes when you come to the realization that God is for you and he loves you and he's your father, just like Jesus said he was. So we are not loved because we're born. We're loved because we are fearfully and wonderfully and uniquely made. We aren't loved because he likes you. Because he likes the fact that you like math and hate art. Or you hate, or you love art and you hate math. He loves the fact that you're unique and you're wonderful and you like this color and not that color and your heritage is unique and your, your ethnicity is unique and everything about you is unique. And he loves, I know, I made that in you. And where you feel like you stand out, I say, you're a unique, special person that I made, and I like that. And I love hanging out with that. And I love being with you. You guys are studying Galatians, right? Galatians 5.1. It is for freedom that you have been set free. We get this wrong all the freaking time. I ask Christians, why have you been set free? And they say, to worship God. I go, nope. Why have you been set free? To obey him. Absolutely wrong. Hmm. Why have you been set free? I've been set free to serve others? Nope. You've not been set free for any utilitarian purpose. God didn't set you free so that he can use you. He doesn't need to use you. He's pretty good on his own. (laughs) Very clearly, Galatians 5.1, it is for freedom's sake that you have been set free. You've been set free simply and totally and only to be free. Full stop, period, end of sentence. Go on and read the rest of Galatians 5. It says, therefore... Don't do this and do this. But you have to understand there's a difference of why something happens versus the ramifications of it happening. Does that make sense? The why it happens is simply because he wants you to be free. Then the result of that is, and don't use that freedom to screw things up. (laughs) Jesus is the most free person that's ever walked the earth. Utterly free from people, but loving them. Free from negative attachments, 
but walking in completely healthy attachments and relationships. And we are to be transformed into the image of Jesus. And if you ask somebody in church, what does it mean to be transformed into the image of Jesus? Most common answer is, I do this and I don't do that, therefore I'm in the image of Jesus. Wrong again. To be in the image of Jesus, if he is the most free person in the world, who's ever walked the earth, to be like him means that you are also free. You're free from the law, and you're free from your parents' expectations of what you should do, and you're free from all this crap, and you're free from religiousness, and you're free from sin, and you're free from everything, so that now the Holy Spirit can lead you and guide you and fill you and bless you, and you never have to have those shackles put on you again. It is for freedom's sake that you have been set free. This really allows us, when you get rooted in God's love for you, to accept your humanity with grace. When you're free, you're able to go, Dad, I didn't do that great. I failed there. I wasn't great there, but it doesn't matter because I'm still free. Doesn't matter. When we are in this judgment performance orphan thing, what happens is we're so likely to cover up our failures and our weaknesses. Imagine, imagine, let's just do an exercise real quick. Give me a second, all right? Do this with me. Take a second right now and think of the worst thing you have ever done or thought of doing. Or maybe it was the worst thing that was done to you. And as you hold that thing in your hand, In that place, your father loves you. Your father loves you. Your father loves you right there. In that place. And that's what it means to be free. Because he comes and meets you and we just give ourselves a break because we are full of the Holy Spirit. We have a divine nature, Peter says, but we still walk this earth in humility and as humans and sometimes we're not great. And so we give ourselves a break and we keep, we retain our freedom. We retain our freedom there's a, a man that I truly love. He passed away a couple of years ago named Dallas Willard. I actually had an opportunity. We went to church with Dallas Willard for a while and had a couple of conversations with him. And he wrote a book called Divine Conspiracy. And um, in it, Dallas Willard says that there are three ways to understand the term heaven. To understand the term heaven. Heaven is like the stars and the planets in scripture. The star, Abraham was told to look at the heavens all the stars and all the planets and your kids are going to outnumber the stars, the physical heavens. We understand heaven as that spiritual place that believers go when we pass on. The heaven that Paul talks about in Ephesians, that the heavenly realms, the spiritual dynamic out there. So it's the physical stars and planets. It's that supernatural thing. Dallas Willard points out that there's a third understanding of the term heaven. And that is 
out of thin air. Out of thin air. That God spoke to Hagar in Genesis. It says God spoke to her out of the heavens in some translations. Other translations say God spoke to her out of thin air. It's the same word. So then when we understand the, the Lord's Prayer, our Father who, who appears to us in thin air. Have you ever been startled by someone? And you go, whoa, dude, you just came out of thin air. Where were you? Right there the whole time? You're freaking me out. <laughs> that our Heavenly Father is that close. He appears to us at a thin air. At a moment's notice, when we turn our attention, he is right there. I said this is really significant, really, really, really significant for me to speak to you today because I got saved in Isla Vista. Um, I grew up in West L.A. My dad died when I was eight years old. I'm the youngest of six. My mom was 35, left with six kids. Um, talk about talk about fatherless orphan spirit quite literally I became friends with in high school all my guys my, my guys right I literally still have a text thread just called the guys and it's blah 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 when I look at the group of six of us all of us but one were fatherless so most of us were youngest child, fatherless, no real brothers in our life. So we found each other. And we became a group. And it was cray-cray. It, I was, came from a very large high school in West L.A. and I was voted most rowdy. Like, who's the craziest dude that will do anything? And like a thousand college, or a thousand high school seniors said, Charlie. It was so bad that when some of my friends stayed in L.A., some of them moved to San Diego, it was so bad that I said, I need a break because my weekend began Thursday and ended Tuesday. So at about Wednesday, I was sober. That was about it. It was so bad that I thought going to Isla Vista would be a break. <laughs> I had two sisters that went to UC Santa Barbara. I figured, I'm just, I got to get out of town. I, I knew very little. I just need to go. So I moved up to Isla Vista and I became friends with this guy. And he's, I, we love the Alpha Course. We've run the Alpha Course. You guys are doing it. Absolute huge fans of the Alpha Course. And a guy kind of did a, an individual Alpha Course. It was one on 12. And he was the only believer. And he tried to explain to the other 11 of us um, why the Bible was true, why Jesus was God, and just went through apologetics. And everybody's arguing, and, but they kept coming back. And after a while, I'm going... I think he's right. And I noticed that I was literally sitting next to him. Like, dude, I get you. I think you're right. This is crazy. But I think, and so I was still being me, which means I was still dropping LSD on Halloween on Del Playa. Come on. The last time I did that, I dressed up as a priest. Little did I know, and everybody's, when I'm like tripping, and everybody's walking by like, hey, Father, hey, Father, and I'm like, yeah. <laughs> Little did I know, a few years later, I would actually be a pastor. <laughs> God works, man. 
You can take acid and God's still going to do his thing. So I'm still being me. And my friend said, you want to go to church? I'm like, oh, no, dude. Church is Sunday morning. God bless you guys for not being Sunday morning. So I was like, church is Sunday morning. Like, you realize Sunday morning. So there's not a much of a break between Saturday night and Sunday morning. They all kind of blend into each other. And so I'm like, all right, fine. I said, yes, I would go, and I didn't go. And I said, yes, I'd go, and I didn't go. And it was at the YMCA somewhere north, like Northern State Street somewhere. So I went utterly hungover, like my head hurt. I just couldn't see. The music was great, but it was reverberating off these tile floors. And I'm like, oh, man, you got to be kidding me. This is killing me, dude. What are we doing? And the first sermon I ever heard was seven reasons why Christians should never drink alcohol ever. And I'm like, oh my word, are you kidding me? Like, dude, I like our little group where you kind of explain Christianity to us, but I can't do church. This is killing me. That summer, Carolyn moves in with another girl. She and another girl sublet the master bedroom. Again, 6503 Del Playa. And... Um, after a while, she said, well, why don't you go with me to our church? Well, I thought Carolyn was awesome, and I thought she's really cute. And she looked cute in a bathing suit. And I'm like, all right, I'll go with you wherever you want to go. <laughs> and so, I'm just being real. And so, Carolyn goes, I go to this little church in Goleta. I'm like, all right, I'll do that. And so, we went to this church, and I don't know why, but one dude, the pastor, played an acoustic guitar, and the songs were not great, and I cried. I'm like, what is going on? This music is not that good. It's like, it's, it's like the Eagles, you know. I'm like, all right. And so, so I become very good friends with Carolyn. We become like a little twinkle in both of our eyes, but we're housemates. And she has been a Christian for years, so she's explaining everything to me. And I'm like, who is this woman? She's incredible. And the guy that led me to the Lord actually was now focused on his now wife. And so he really did not, I was no longer all that close with him. And Carolyn graduated and moved back home. And here I am. And so I went back to the church in Goleta a couple times. And I remember standing there and I didn't know anybody. There's a church maybe this size in Goleta. This is why it's so remarkable for me to have the honor of speaking with you guys tonight because this is my story and I was in this church in Goleta I had this now I know looking back it was the Holy Spirit but I have this thing well up inside of me and I looked around the room and maybe some of you are like this because I looked around the room and I said nobody here loves me And then I got like, come on, dude, get over it. What are you doing? Stop it. Like, obviously, all of your guy friends are in L.A. You left them. You chose to leave them. You started to make new friends, the Christian group that you're now hanging out with. But they all graduated and moved on. And I'm still around. And so I went full logical in my head. Of course nobody loves you in this room. Dude, you don't know anybody at this church. And I turned my attention back to worship. And I even remember the song. We give thanks to thee, O Lord, we give thanks. And I just sang that. And out of thin air, 
I heard a voice and said, but I do. And I just started, what? And I just fell down on the ground. And I just started crying. And out of thin air, I heard a voice again, an audible voice that said, but I do. And I was literally curled up in the fetal position, shaking and crying, like what is happening? And a third time, a voice from heaven broke through and said, but I do. And I said, literally with my mouth, stop, I can't take it anymore. And it was silent. It was like this, And I got up to my, I was in the fetal position, the middle of church, and I don't know anybody. (laughs) And I pulled myself to the chair, and I have tears running down my eyes and snot running out of my nose, and the pastor's playing guitar, and he just winked at me like, gotcha. (laughs) And I said, I don't know what this is, but I'm in but I'm in. And it's been that way ever since. Will you go ahead and stand? What is tonight is my full circle. Tonight is my full circle. But for some of you, it's a new circle. It's a new trajectory. And you know what that loneliness is? You know what that orphan feeling is? You know what it's like to say, nobody here loves me. And your heavenly father says, but I do. Not to me, to you. But I do to you. Your heavenly father loves you. Your heavenly father wants to break off that fear, that sense you need to take care of yourself, that sense that you need to provide for yourself, He says, I don't give a crap what you've done. I just want to let you know that I love you as you are and all of your uniqueness. I have created and I love how weird you are. Because <laughs> I don't need somebody like who's sitting next to you. I already have somebody like that. I need somebody like you. So Lord, I pray that would come and your Holy Spirit would come in Jesus' name. You would let it come, Holy Spirit.
Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. If you've never, if you've tinkered around Christianity, make tonight the night. And come up and get prayer. If you've, from one Isla Vista person to another, make tonight the night. And come get prayer. It's the best ride you're ever going to have.